My name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and thanks again for being in worship this morning. A week ago Saturday, 16 men from the church went down to Iron Sharpens Iron, the men's conference that's held annually in O'Fallon, Illinois. And every year, Iron Sharpens Iron recognizes one of the churches that's in attendance. And they recognized us this year. Yeah. And as they were calling us up, all 16 of us, and the guys were gracious enough to, to come up with me on stage, I thought, you know, what are they going to give us? Are they going to give us a plaque or a, uh, some kind of certificate that we can, you know, share, whatever? And, uh, well, let me show you what they gave us, okay? Yeah, it's a plaque. <laughs> well, look at that. And the guy said, don't put your eye out now. When you start swinging it, don't put Mike's eye out. But yes, it's uh, to honor our church for the work we do among, with men. And so men, this is for you. And uh, thank you, Iron Sharpens Iron. I'm praying that that 16 will double and next year we'll take at least, uh, let's see, what's 2 times 16? Well, you know what I mean. Do you know who said this? The world looks at me as a football player who's a Christian, but I look at the world and say I'm a Christian who happens to play football. Anybody know? Those are the words of Tim Tebow, speaking in June of 2012. And after Tebow spoke, he was asked, do you see yourself as a role model? And he answered, there are a lot of role models, there just aren't many good ones. Now, if you know anything about Tim Tebow, you know he knows who he is in God. Tim Tebow knows he's a Christian that he's a child of God. And when a man or woman knows who they are in God, they can serve God anywhere. It could be on a football field or in a hospital. It could be in a classroom or a grocery store. And I want to look this morning at a man in the Old Testament who knew who he was in God and who wanted to serve God wherever he found himself. We're going to pick up the story of Joseph after he was betrayed by his brothers and was sold to slave traders who took him to Egypt. And there he was sold again in the slave market to a man named Potiphar, who was the head of Pharaoh's security. It'd be a little bit like... uh, America's Secret Service presidential detail today. And Joseph, he's far from home. He's been betrayed by his brothers. His father thinks he's dead. And to top it off, now he's become a slave in Egypt. In spite of all this, there was one bright spot in his life. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, 
so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. That bright spot in Joseph's life is found in this very important detail. The Lord was with Joseph. Knowing the Lord is with us in our life struggles can help us endure, help us make it when those struggles come our way as they will. We might not face what Joseph did, but life can be hard. Life can be difficult. You know, it's a great comfort to know that the Lord will be with me and you just as he was with Joseph. This part of Joseph's story is about the battle he had with temptation. The band just played a great song by Matt Mayar, Lord, I Need You. Did a wonderful job with that rendition. And there's one stanza that goes like this in the song. It said, when temptation comes my way, and when I can't stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. You're my hope and stay. It's a great truth in those lines. And I say amen to that. I want to give you two quotes from British authors. One who was not a Christian and one who was a Christian. Oscar Wilde, the non-Christian, said this. He said, I can resist anything except temptation. The second quote comes from C.S. Lewis who observed that no man knows how bad he is until he's tried to be good. Now, the first quote proves the second quote. It's precisely because we can't resist temptation in and of ourselves that we learn how bad we really are and how much we stand in need of God's grace every day. Temptation isn't just a 21st century issue. The lure of temptation is the same for us in 2015 as it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan, who's referred to as the tempter in the New Testament, he tempts us today just as he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. From the very beginning, a battle has raged for the souls of men and women. And temptation has been one of the enemy's weapons in that battle. Here's a working definition for temptation. Temptation is the inner urge to do wrong that hits us in the place of our own personal weakness. Now, let me give you to that again, okay? Temptation is the inner urge to do wrong that hits us in the place of our own personal weakness. 
That definition emphasizes that temptation ultimately comes from the inside. The things that tempt us may come from the outside, but the urge to do them comes from inside us. Temptation is an inside job. James writes this, We are tempted by our what? Own desires that drag us off and trap us. Now that's a wake-up call for most of us because we tend to blame something else or, or someone else when we fall into sin through temptation. We want to blame something on the outside of us. But it's not just the devil who made us do it, nor is it some provocative scene or some irritating person or a questionable relationship. We can't blame our parents or our grandparents. We can't blame our DNA. Now, these things can be factors in the temptation equation. But the inner desires, according to God's word, belong to us alone. No one or nothing can make us or force us to sin through temptation. No one. We do that on our own. It's like the article I read about a Minnesota couple who were caught stealing after the homeowner saw them running out her back door. Charles and Pernella were arrested. And the police arrested them, and they were arrested for first-degree burglary. But instead of copying to their actions, they claimed they read a Craigslist ad listing the woman's residence as a free house full of free stuff. Not too bright, were they? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, reminding us that while we all face temptation, God always provides a way of escape out of the temptation. Now, here's the catch. If we're willing to take it. Paul writes this. You are tempted the same way all other human beings are. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. Then you will be able to deal with it. There's no better example of this verse than the case of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And from his story, we find five truths that will help us in our personal struggle with temptation, in whatever form it comes. So read truth number one with me. When things are going well, now there are fewer in here on today than normal, so you're going to have to speak real loud, okay? Convince me that this is a very energetic group. <laughs> Imagine we set the scene. It's the royal court of Egypt. And a man named Potiphar enters the room. 
And he's the head of Pharaoh's bodyguards, which is a position of great honor because it meant he alone was personally responsible for the Pharaoh's safety. With him as a young man, and as the young man follows Potiphar, all the eyes in the room follow the young man. He has it all. He has good looks. He has a self-confidence about him. He has poise to his demeanor. And no, his name's not Brad Pitt. His name's Joseph. Potiphar had purchased Joseph from the slave market when he was about 17 years of age. And Joseph had now been in his service for many years. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, we're talking about Joseph, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Bible scholars calculate that Joseph served Potiphar for around 11 or 12 years. And Potiphar was no dummy. And through the years of Joseph's service, he knew that the Lord's favor, this God he served, was with Joseph. So at some time, Potiphar gets smart. And he puts Joseph in charge of his estate hoping that some of this heavenly favor would fall from the sky and rub off on Potiphar's house and all of his possessions. Notice what happens when Joseph takes over. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house And in the field. In the first five verses of Genesis chapter 39, we get a glimpse of how God had been looking after Joseph. We read words such as prospered and success and blessed. These words were used to let us know what God thought of Joseph. And there are two things we ought to learn from those scriptures. First, People who don't know God aren't blind. They're lost, yes, in their sins. But even in that spiritual confusion, they can see the hand of God at work in his children's lives. And even though Potiphar followed a pagan Egyptian religion, he understood that Joseph was different. He knew Joseph had honesty and integrity, and Potiphar respected him for these things. So he, Potiphar, left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. The other thing we learn is there's no contradiction between God's blessings on one hand in our lives and temptation on the other hand. In fact, we may be more likely to be tempted when things are going well in our life. 
When we're enjoying God's blessings and his favor in our lives, we often become complacent and take those blessings for granted. When everything seems to be going your way, when you just got a promotion, when your popularity at school has never been higher, when your dreams start to come true for you and your family, watch out and be on guard Keep your spiritual eyes open because when things are going well, we should be on guard for temptation. Here's our second truth. Read it with me. That was much better. I'm almost convinced. It's at this point in the story... When Joseph seems to be doing pretty well in his position as overseer of this large estate, that a new character enters. We never learn her name, but we know she's Potiphar's wife. Verse 7 lays out the situation for us without mincing any words. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Another translation says she made eyes at him. As Joseph worked around the house, worked around the fields, worked around the master's property, Potiphar's wife followed him with her eyes. Eyes filled with lust. And desire. Joseph, the Bible says, was a handsome man. He was a well built man. He must have been working out at the local Nautilus or Club Fitness. And now he was, you know, ripped and chiseled, just like Pastor Jeff. (laughs) Well, I couldn't use me. I know you wouldn't have. To Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph looked like an excellent plaything for a casual affair between a younger man and an older woman. I guess you could say she was the first cougar of the Bible. (laughs) She's persistent, very persistent, this lady. And it's quite possible she'd been trying to seduce Joseph for years. When Joseph turned her down, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she tried again and again to get him into her bed. And perhaps she thought she'd eventually wear down his resistance. But time after time, to his credit, Joseph refused her and said no. But you know, if you read that story, it's worth asking, why would a red-blooded young man say no to an available woman when she was making it very clear what her intentions were? And here we find one answer. But Joseph refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. The first answer why Joseph would say no is this. Although he could have taken advantage of the situation with Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph had the utmost respect for his earthly master. And he was going to be loyal and faithful to him. Joseph knew how his actions would affect Potiphar and other people. Sadly, we often want to deny or minimize the harmful effects of our sin on other people. When we look at the charred forest of a, after a fire, we see all the devastation. Some areas, all the trees are gone, just ash, animals killed. You know, we have that sense of anger. I do. When we learn the fire was started, in so many cases, by careless individuals. And we should never be misled in thinking that the effects of sin in human lives are no less destructive than the forest fires that we see every year in America. In my years of ministry, I've witnessed many broken and damaged lives as a result of someone saying yes to temptation. Joseph never gave in to the illusion that he could say yes to this temptation that was right there every day. Or that he would never be discovered. Or that somehow it wouldn't matter or it wouldn't hurt anyone, consenting adults. Joseph goes on and says this, How then could I do, read it with me, such a wicked thing and sin against God? Here's our second answer to the question of why Joseph didn't give in to the sexual temptation of Mrs. Potiphar. I'll hold you right there. Not only was he loyal to his earthly master, Joseph was loyal and faithful to his heavenly master, the Lord God Almighty. Joseph knew who he was in God. Joseph knew he belonged to God, and he wanted to live a life of holiness before that God. Joseph did the right thing. Because Joseph knew that as far as God was concerned, adultery was wrong. Joseph wanted to obey the moral standards of a person who walked with God even long before the Ten Commandments of the Mosaic Law was given. 
Joseph called it a sin against God. In our day, we like to rename sin to make it sound, well, to make it sound less sinful. And over the years, we've been assaulted by various individuals and groups that have an agenda to redefine or to undefine sin. The Bible gives us a warning that these people and their agendas will only get worse as time goes on. And as we read this together, you think, you know, this has been 2,000 years ago that this was written. But it sounds like things that are happening just today, in our day. So Paul writes, you may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Talk to those folks in Syria and Iraq about that. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. They'll be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They will be... Next screen, please. Next screen, please. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and prefer good times to worshiping God. It's like it was written yesterday for the people of the world today. Followers of Christ, those of us in this building that have made a commitment to Jesus... Followers of Christ need an infusion of the Joseph spirit so that we would do what he did. Joseph just simply called things how God called things. Instead of using a word like adultery, you know, we use words like an affair, friends with benefits. One night stand. That's probably old fashioned. That's my. But you know, you and I can call it what we like. But just as in the days of Joseph, adultery is still sin. Not because I say so, but because God says so. Renaming or redefining sin doesn't change sin's character any more than calling rat poison a food makes it bread. Despite his repeated refusal, Mrs. Potiphar kept thinking about Mrs. Robinson, remember? Mrs. Potiphar continued on a daily basis, the Bible says, to try to seduce Joseph. We read, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, and we go day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And finally, she makes her boldest move yet, as far as we know. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties. 
and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. So what does Joseph do now? Mrs. Potiphar is actually grabbing him, trying to pull him down on the bed with her. Joseph knows he belongs to God. And that made it easier to do what he had to do. See, I believe when a man or woman knows who they are in God, it makes the decisions of life easier to make. If you belong to God, you know you can't have sexual relations with your boss's wife. You know you can't have sexual relations with anyone other than your spouse. It's just that simple, my friends. It doesn't matter that your boss's wife is lonely or that she's attractive or that she's available or anything else. If you belong to God, you just can't do it. End of story. No discussion needed. Joseph didn't flirt with trouble. Joseph didn't say, you know, wonder how far I can go with this thing with Mrs. Potiphar and still be okay with God. You know, if I went down on the bed with her and uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, he didn't go there. He didn't let his mind go there. He didn't let his imagination go there. He just said no. Truth number three, read it with me. When you're tempted, you've got to react fast. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. It was a moment of reckoning for Joseph. When she said, why don't you stay for a while? Joseph said, sorry, but I got to run. And that's what he did. He ran out of the house, ran across the lawn, dodging the camels as he went. And he left her holding his coat while he ran the other way. The King James Version has kind of an unusual expression in verse 12, this verse right here, to respond how Joseph dealt with his final temptation. This is what the King James says. It says, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. That's why we don't read the King James too much Got him out. What does that mean? He got him out. Because no one else could get him out. So he got himself out of the temptation trouble he was in. He was in hot water here. Could have gone either way for him. I believe I can confidently say that you and I will face temptation this year. Now the temptation will face could manifest in other forms than just sexual temptation. I don't know why we always think of temptation wrapped around the sexual connotation. But we do most of the time. But we could be tempted to lie. We could be tempted to hate. We could be tempted to curse and use profane language. We could be tempted to steal. We could be tempted to cheat. We could be tempted to gossip. 
And if you get the idea, we could go on like this all day long. We could be tempted and you could fill in the blank. I don't know about you, but I know about David Blackburn. And I've got to do exactly what Joseph did and get myself out. And how I do it is not as important as that I do it. I must react fast and get myself out of that temptation trouble. I believe Joseph had decided what he was going to do beforehand. He had thought it through, and he made up his mind. What he was going to do when the temptation from Mrs. Potiphar came to the point of breaking him. And my friends, it's very important that you and I make up our minds in advance what we're going to do when temptation comes our way. It's too late to pray about it when Mrs. Potiphar is pulling you down, trying to play kissy face with you. That's too late. When temptation comes, you should know beforehand what you're going to do and then react fast and get yourself out. God promised, remember back in 1 Corinthians, God promised to make a way out. But God didn't obligate himself to give us multiple choices or three choices in case we don't like the first two that he provides for us. We've got to react fast and take the way out God has given. Joseph did that. And we should too. Our fourth trouble is this. Read it with me. When you do the right thing, don't expect a reward. As you can imagine, Mrs. Potiphar's wife wasn't too happy about what just took place. While Joseph is running half-dressed through the neighborhood, you know, she's a handful of dirty laundry here. Two things happen very quickly. First, she makes a false accusation. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him, Potiphar, this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She accuses Joseph of attempted rape. And her words sound very plausible because what she got in her hand? She's got part of Joseph's clothing, his coat. A preacher from many years ago said this, Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. The second thing that happens is even though he did the right thing, Joseph didn't get a reward. When his master heard the story his wife had told him, saying, this is how your slave traded me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. When Potiphar heard his wife's side of the story, 
he got angry. And he had Joseph thrown into prison. Knowing that he belonged to God and that he wanted to honor God helped Joseph stand up for his convictions. And even though he did the right thing and he acted on those convictions, Joseph didn't get a reward. He was unjustly thrown into prison. The good news this morning is you can stand up to temptation and you can do what God wants you to do. The bad news is you may end up losing something in the process. Could be your job. It could be a relationship that you have. It could be your popularity. It's always our choice. We can either stand up to temptation and do what God wants us to do, or we can fall to temptation and the sinful behavior that follows closely behind. Just remember, don't expect a reward for doing the right thing. But we don't leave it there because our last truth, number five, if you'll read it with me, is this. When you do the right thing... Our story ends in a way that we might not have expected. Joseph is in prison, unjustly charged. And we read, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Once again, we see that recurring theme of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph. At this time in his life, Joseph appears to be a ruined young man. Because he took a stand against the temptation to sin and he remained faithful to God. He lost his job. He lost his freedom. And he lost his reputation. But Joseph's story isn't over. And I'd encourage you to read on. And when you read on, you're going to learn that God honors him as one who dared to say no to temptation and the sin it brings and dared to say yes to God. And I have all the assurance in the world that God will do the same for us today. At first, things may not work out exactly like we think they should or like we hope they will. But when we have the courage to say no to temptation, God takes care of the details in his own time. And in the end, I can promise you this. We'll never be disappointed for doing the right thing. For the Lord will always be with us as he was with Joseph. And the Lord will honor you in his way. 
There are things worse than going to prison for doing what's right. And one of them is living in the prison of a guilty conscience. I believe it's far better to do right and sleep well at night than to lose the peace of sleep because you didn't say no to temptation and you refused God's offer of a way of escape. During President Ronald Reagan's war on drugs in the 1980s, there was a slogan that was developed that Nancy Reagan used all over America and it became quite popular. Just three words. Just say If you and I are going to be victorious over temptation, we must do what Joseph did. When Potiphar's wife tempted him to sin day after day after day, just say no. When you're tempted to do wrong this week, and you're tempted to sin against God in whatever form that looks like for your life, just say no. When Satan would whisper in your ear, go on, everyone else is doing it. Remember who you are, young person in God, and just say no. When your mind tries to deceive you, as my mind has tried to deceive me on many occasions, and would say, go ahead, no one's going to see, who's going to care? Remember that God, the omniscient God of all, sees everything we do for our own protection. And then just say no to that deceiving thought. You see, in the end, it comes down to a simple question. Do you know that you're a child of God and that you belong to Him now? And if that's the case, here's your hope. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. What a comfort for us who know who we are in God. Because it says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly. Which means the children, His children. We're not gods, but we're the godly. We're the children of God. He can deliver us from any and all temptations from this day forward. Here's the truth I believe God wants us to get this morning. If you know who you are in God, like Tim Tebow, like Joseph of Genesis chapter 39, If you know who you are in God and that you belong to Him and that you love Him and you're trying with all your might to serve Him, if you know you can win over any temptation and you can serve that God anywhere. The band's going to play this great song, Lord, I Need You. 
I don't know about you, but I need the Lord in my life. And many things. And today we just have one prayer team. They're going to be standing toward the front of the church here in the front. If there's anything in your life, and, and don't let it just, you come forward, we don't, we're not saying hey, they're tempted. Again, when we offer prayer in this church, it could be for anything under the sun. And I've stood up here many times and prayed with people. Sometimes they don't even tell you what it is, and that's quite all right. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in coming together and praying one for another. I say all that to, to say this. If you need prayer, this morning prayer is available for you. We're going to ask you to sing along with this song. It's a song of prayer, basically. A song of worship to our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for the story of Joseph. A young man with strong, strong convictions. Lord, I don't know what I would have done. I hope, Lord, I would have done as Joseph did. And I would have understood that being in God meant that I had the resources available by the God of all creation to help me resist temptation, to help me run, help me to look for the door, to help me to escape and to get myself out of that temptation. Lord, there's not a temptation under sun, the sun that you won't provide a way of escape for today. And Lord, we come this morning and we say we need you, Lord. We need you to heal us. We need you to save us. We need you to encourage us. We need you just to lift us, Lord, in our spirits. We need you to bring our wayward sons and daughters home. And as we sing this song as a prayer unto you, Father, we just acknowledge that you alone are the one who can meet the longing of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing that song.